Let's praise the Lord one more time for that video and all the good things God did. That is the church of my spiritual mentor, my spiritual father, Pastor Benjamin Robinson, Pastor Benjamin and Sonny. They are the pastors of Living Hope Christian Center out in Emeryville, California. And our sister Susie here from the Etowan campus and sister Carrie from my Hillside Cancer Canvas, they got to join in for the Living Hope team uh, to go and do missions in Indonesia. And so that's what the video was about just now. And what a powerful ministry that they saw. And Susie's been on a few trips with us. And she was just raving about just how powerful uh, this trip was and how empowering it was for her personally. And God just did incredible signs, wonders, and miracles. And, I mean, you got to have a pretty hard heart to look at, the, hear these testimonies, number one, watch these videos, and still have unbelief that God moves supernaturally today. Or have an attitude of, that's for them, but not for me. I mean, you got to be pretty hard-hearted, I think, for you to remain in that place. And so when you watch these videos and you listen to these testimonies, that's our invitation for you to experience God in the fullness of who he is. The kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk. It's not just about academic study. It's about experiencing God. Christianity was never meant to be just about studying, studying, researching. Those are things that are important. But that's not where we're supposed to end up. We're supposed to experience and know God, his love, his power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of just talk, but a matter of power. The kingdom of God is love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And so, you know, these testimonies and videos, they're our invitation for you to come and experience God. We're telling you, this is God. This is real It's not a whole bunch of people faking it. We're not calling them up and say, can you fake it? We're about to make a video. We're going to, can we gather about 8,000 y'all? Can all you fake it? Can you fake being demon possessed? Can you fake having a disease? This is real. You know, when Jesus resurrected, he rebuked his disciples. You know why? Because the women saw Jesus resurrected. And they gave a testimony of that resurrection to the men. And the men refused to believe that testimony. And especially a woman's testimony. So when Jesus finally resurrected and appeared to them in the flesh, he rebuked them. You know, that's what the church needs today. It's a good rebuke from Jesus. Because when God does something, and he has it delivered through the testimony of an honest Bible-believing Christian, God doesn't make it optional whether we, we believe it or not. I mean, un- unless that person's dishonest, you know what I mean? If they have an integrity and they have a track record of just being honest about their testimonies, that's, that's a call by God directly to you to believe what you just heard. It's not just theory. It's, 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 it's real, and God is inviting us to believe it. All right, that's not my message. I'm preaching my message. Luke, Luke chapter 12. Everybody turn to Luke chapter 12. This is your first time at New Philly. We want to welcome you. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 20. I'm going to read in the ESV. 
All right, let's, uh, I'll read the first verse. You read the second until we get to verse 20. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Oh, thank you. He thought, where are we at? He thought to himself, yeah. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Fool! So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, so it is for those who store up treasures for themselves, but is cheap toward God. Here, if you look earlier in chapter 12, Jesus is preaching an intense message about persecution. Trying to reassure his disciples in advance that when you get persecuted, don't worry. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be there with you. He's teaching this thing on persecution. And out of the crowd, some knucklehead interrupts Jesus with a domestic dispute that had nothing to do with the sermon. Verse 13. Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, first of all, this guy calls Jesus teacher, but he has no regard for his teachings. Secondly, he gives Jesus a command. The Greek verb here is an errors active imperative. It's a command. He's, he says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He doesn't ask. He tells Jesus what to do. So you can, you can understand that when Jesus responds, he's a little bit annoyed, right? He says here in verse 14, Yo, what's up, man? Who made you, who made me your lawyer, essentially? What you get me all up in your business for? I was, I was preaching a good message to you, just cut it off. And Jesus uses this opportunity, though, to preach about finances. So we're going to look at that today. Uh, look at verse 15. Jesus warns the people about covetousness. He says, take care. He's not saying take care. He's saying, watch out. Beware. Okay. Uh, ESV is kind of weak there. Uh, New King James says, take heed. I think the NIV says, beware. Beware and be on your guard against all covetousness everyone say covetousness i'm going to spell that for you because i over at hillside a lot of people don't know how to spell this word it's covet o-u-s-n-e-s-s -S. how many of y'all knew how to spell that already yeah yeah, yeah. you're smart okay <laughs> covetousness be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions this greek word for covetousness 
which the NASB translates greed, is the Greek word pleonexia. It means a greedy desire to have more, covetousness, avarice, which is an old word for intense greed, extortion, unjust gain by way of something like fraud. Okay, that's what that word pleonexia means. The English word covet is translated in the Oxford Dictionary as to yearn, to possess, or have something. Have you ever yearned to have something that isn't yours? Seems like a pretty pretty harmless thing, doesn't it? I, I really like your earrings. I long to have those earrings. I really like your shoes. I wish I could afford shoes like that. I want your shoes. A lot of Koreans, they say, "puropta." Uh, you know, I envy you. You know, and it's, it's such a common thing in the culture. It's, it doesn't have as many negative connotations as it does in English. And they use the word envy, and it's like, whoa, what the heck? Why are you envying me? But in Korean, you know, it's very natural to say, "puropta." But, you know, you know I, I, I envy uh, the car you have. I wish I could have that car. I yearn to have that car. Coveting seems like such a harmless thing. But today, I'm going to preach in the scriptures about just how dangerous covetousness is. Now, if you are on leadership, you're required to listen to all of my sermons wherever campus I preach. Last week, I preached at Hillside my second message on finances. Today is my third message on finances. The second message was called The Social Mobility of the Saints. And in that message, I talked about how God has put a call on our church to impact this city. But in order for us to bring reform, confront injustice, make real changes for social justice, it's going to require that God's people climb the social ladder. We got to have a holy ambition for social mobility upwards. We can't just settle for this minimal, complacent approach toward life where I'm just happy If I have uh, a car, a house, a family, some kids, I go to church, I worship, I tithe, and I die with a smile on my face because I know I'm going to heaven. If that is the goal of your life, that is not a God-sized dream, and that is not a God-sent call. That's just something that you got fed from the American dream. That's something you got fed by your parents, but has has nothing to do with the call of God. The call of God for this house is to be salt and light in this city, to be a change agent, a yeast that works throughout the entire dough. The kingdom of God is like yeast, Jesus said. Just a little bit. You don't need the majority. You don't need 80% of the city to agree with you. You just need 5%. You just need 1% of that city. And all God's people have to be is be God's people. And they will affect that city. They will change that city. They will be salt and light in the city. And so I talked about how it's important that we have a vision for social mobility upwards. And that this is not an inherently evil, greedy, or selfish ambition. If this ambition is driven by visions of luxury, then it is uh, selfish. But when it is driven by a faithful stewardship of God's call, you need to get off that guilt. And no matter what social class we are in, I talked about last week how the gospel demands that we have a social mobility downwards 
No matter what social class we're in, what income level you're in, we have to have a willingness to associate with the poor, the oppressed, the broken. You know, what I love about these missions videos that you've seen in the past month, including Living Hopes today, is that these people who make up these missions teams, they come from different social classes. They come from different income brackets. But they are willing, all, all of them are willing to go to Indonesia and reach out. And, you know, you know there are some like, like, I don't know, like Paris Hilton type snobs who would, you know, go to a mission trip like that and just, I ain't touching that. Ew, this is where we're sleeping? Where can I plug in my hairdryer? And if you identify more with the indigenous people, you know, you would look at a person like that and be like, man, that person... They need some social mobility downwards. They need to learn how to beat down. They're all stuck up and so snobbish and spoiled. You know what I mean? And I talked about last week how the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is an amazing study in social um, mobility. The reason why there's a story, the reason why the show is funny is because it's an interaction between, between the house uh, that, uh, what was the father's name again? Uh, Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil has this amazing mansion in Bel Air, which is a rich neighborhood in California. And he has uh, three children, Carlton, Hillary, and Ashley. And they're living in this nice home with a butler, right? Jeffrey. And I talked about last week how the reason why the show is so interesting is because it's a study on social mobility. Here comes a kid out of the ghettos of Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, right? Born and raised. He gets in trouble and his mom sends him to Bel Air, to his uncle's place, to be like, stay out of trouble. And once he gets there, now we got the story. Why? Because Carlton grew up so, you know, spoiled and snobbish that there's such a disconnect with Will. Who's, who grew up in the lower social class, right? And we all, even no matter what income level we had, because they exaggerated Carlton's character, we all associated with Will. And we're like, Will is cool, Carlton is not. <laughs> but the show is exaggerating it to show that if you don't have a social mobility downwards, you're just as clueless and thick-headed as Hillary. I mean, think about the stupid things Hillary does on the show. It's just a mockery. But it's just an exaggeration of what we see in the world. What we see in that rich social class. Now, if Uncle Phil is not like that, why? I talked about last week how Uncle Phil is not like that. Because he came from the streets. He once had it hard. And he made it big. Why is, Jeffrey's, why, why is Jeffrey able to connect with Will? Because he also has a social mobility. His job requires him to climb the social ladder, but also his income shows that he's actually not quite there. Anyway, how do I get into that? Yeah. So I talked about how we got to have a social mobility downward. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The Bible says that Christ became poor. 
Christ made the greatest social mobility downwards in the incarnation in order for you through his poverty so that you can be rich. Now, I believe that that word rich means multifaceted here. But what I don't believe is I don't believe it excludes material wealth, material richness. I believe it's all inclusive of that. Christ made a social mobility downwards onto this earth that by becoming poor, you might become rich. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? Does that sound like the prosperity gospel to you? Let's be thinking Christians here. Don't get caught up in the rhetoric of the church and how they slam prosperity gospel. Most Christians, when I talk to them about it, they can't have an intellectual conversation on the topic of prosperity. They just have an angry rhetoric toward, I can't believe they're doing that with the gospel. They're, they're going to poor places like Indonesia and they're preaching, if you believe in Jesus, you can drive a Mercedes. No one's doing that. You know, there might be abuses of it, but they're, they're not the majority. No one's preaching that message. That's a poor caricature of some of the Pentecostal preachers out there, some of the charismatic preachers out there. And in Pentecostalism, in the, in the Assemblies of God, the full gospel church, it's called the full gospel because they believe the good news is not just for you to die and go to heaven. The good news is there's good, good things for you here on this earth as well. Healing, financial provision, and prosperity. And, the, and the, you know, the Pentecostals may be weak in their scholarship, but they're on to a revelation that should not be forsaken by the church because of their fear or because of their identity with a rhetoric done by some celebrity preachers. Jesus became poor so that we can be set free to make a social mobility upwards. A pauper cannot lift up the poor out of poverty. I talked about that last week. It takes a prince to do that. But you know what? If all you do is just you want to live in your complacency, you just want to, it'll be me, I'll take care of me and my three. You know, I just have my little financial, you know, stability. I'm happy with that. That is such a vision for your life that does not require God at all. And that's why, you know what, a lot of American Christians, they live as if God, they're practical atheists. They live as if God's not even there. It's because it's tied to the vision that they have for their lives. And unfortunately, the preaching ministry is in reinforcing some of these visions. We've got to have a holy ambition to climb the social ladder for the sake of bringing the kingdom of God there. For the sake of stamping out corruption Confronting injustice. We enjoy many things here in this city as a result of the gospel. I absolutely believe it. The education. The access to greater education. That's all the result of the gospel. That's all the result of the Reformation. If it wasn't for the Reformation, you would still be in the dark ages. Women will not be allowed to get an education. And men will be, I don't know, farming for potatoes and whatever. The Reformation, the gospel is what drove this, this movement to go back to the, uh, the sources, at Fontes, right? To go back and dig up all the richness of Greek philosophy and all of the uh, education that, that 
the Greeks and the Romans, they were able to really steward. Anyway, all right, let me get away from that. I'm going too much of my church history class. Let me get on my message right here, all right? Let me get on my message. Where's my clock at? How come I don't get a clock here? Hey, fix that next week, Ted. All right, let me get a clock. Check this out. Today's message, it talks about how as the people of God climbed the social ladder for the sake of fulfilling his call, there is a greater warning to guard against covetousness. The higher up you go, the more you got to guard your heart against covetousness. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And we got to guard our hearts against it. Money itself is not inherently evil. It is the love of money. And that's why the Bible commands, you shall not covet. Now, I'm going to talk to you right now about three points about covetousness. Everybody say covetousness. covetousness. Turn to your neighbor tell him, you shall not covet. <laughs> In the Ten Commandments, the last of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not covet. Now, before that, you got, you shall not give false witness. You should not lie. You should not steal. You shall not murder. I mean, these are pretty hefty, heavy things. And then the Ten Commandments ends with, you should not covet. You know what God is saying? God is saying, not only will I judge the sins done by the hands of men, but I'm looking also to the heart. Murder. Adultery, theft, all these things don't just take place spontaneously. It's birthed by a person nurturing a covetous heart. And so God just, the, he ends the Ten Commandments with this exclamation point like, get to the source of it. Don't even let it linger in your heart. You shall not covet. Now, my first point about covetousness is, Although it may seem just like a harmless, secret thing to do, the Bible calls it sin. So everybody say, covetousness is sin. Covetousness is sin. Okay, that's our number one point. Uh, let's look at the parable we just read in Luke chapter 12 for my second point. Jesus tells them this parable, land of a rich man produced plentifully. Let me sum it up. He thought to himself, I got a lot of crops. I got a lot of possessions. I got a lot of wealth. But my bank account's not big enough. Let me open up another bank account. My barn is not big enough. Let me build a bigger barn. So he builds this big barn, stores up everything. And look at verse 20. God says to him, you have done really good. You are now have stability, financial stability. No, God says, fool, fool. This night your soul is required of you. In other words, you're going to get a heart attack tonight and you are going to die. Who's going to get all this wealth that you stored up? And God says, this is the type of foolishness people will experience when they are rich toward themselves, but not toward God. Rich toward themselves, cheap toward God. Rich toward themselves, cheap toward others. What's my second point? My second point is covetousness is foolishness. Covetousness is foolishness. There's another parable Jesus told of the sower. And in that parable, appears in Luke chapter 8. 
Jesus explained that the, some seed fell along the road. Birds came, ate it up. Other seeds fell on the rock, but the plants could not take root. And then Luke chapter 8, verse 7 says, Some seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with the plants and choked it. And then later on in that chapter, in verse 14, Jesus explains what the parable means. And Jesus says that the seeds that fell among thorns represent those who hear the word, but they end up getting choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Such people do not see the fruit of God's word and maturity in their lives. When they get choked by the riches, cares, and pleasures of this life. That sound familiar? You know how effective my preaching ministry will be? If you will learn to stop choking on the riches, cares, and pleasures of life. So many people, no matter how, you could be a Christian for many, many years or just a baby Christian. So many people, they struggle with covetousness. They choke on the cares of life, the pleasures of life. And Jesus teaches that this prevents the word of God from producing fruit and maturity in our lives. It is not the cares, riches, and pleasures themselves. But it is the choking, getting choked on these things. What is it it saying? Jesus is saying, in other words, those who love it, covet it, who lust after these things, they're the ones who choke on the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And the word of God is prevented from taking root, uh, from, from producing fruit in your life. What's it mean to be rich toward God? From this other parable, when Jesus is like, this is what it'd be for a person who's, you know, selfish, but is not rich toward God. What's it mean to be rich toward God? You think when you get to heaven and you bring a big old bank account and say, hey, God, look at this, five million dollars. Here you go, God. Aren't you proud of me? You know what God's going to say? God's going to say, what you bringing up all that money up here for? What's the use of that? Why are you bringing all that money? Why don't you spend it right before you die? Well, you know, I, I, I just thought God this is the wise thing to do. I thought, you know, I, I was scared. I was, you know, there was, God's like, what are you doing with all that money up here? I gave you that money so you can give it away, so you can help people, so you can loose the, uh, the yokes of oppression, so you can mobilize the saints to do missions and evangelism, so you can help Pastor Christian build a new sanctuary for each one. And you bring that, you knucklehead, bring that money up here for telling you right now you will get a holy elbow drop to your face (laughs) what am i saying i'm saying covetousness is foolishness it's foolishness it chokes it prevents the word of god from bearing fruit in your life so it's important that we deal with it that's my second point covetousness is foolishness third i mentioned before that we need to guard ourselves from covetousness the more we climb up the social ladder But the truth is, you need to guard yourself now. No matter what income level you're at. You can be dirt poor and you can have a habit of covetousness. You can have all the money in the world and still be covetous of what someone else has. You know, there's this movie way back in the day called Indecent Indecent Proposal with uh, starring Demi Moore. How many of y'all saw that movie? Why are you watching a movie like that? Don't watch a movie like that. 
Right, anyway, let me tell you the plot, right? Wealthy businessman. He offers a young couple that's financially struggling $1 million to sleep with the wife for one night. What would you do? Well, in the movie, Demi Moore says, you can go to hell. And then the husband says, you know, you can go to hell. But then later on, uh, I, won't, I won't give the spoiler away. All right. And you, don't watch the movie, though. And let me give it away so you don't watch the movie. Uh, they're in such a financial difficulty that Demi Moore actually takes the initiative and says, no, I'll do this. I'll take the hit for us. I'll do this. Don't worry. My love for you is secure. It's just going to be just my body. And, and, and so, you know, and so, yeah, they, they get the million dollars, I think. Something like that. I didn't watch the movie, so I don't know how the movie ends. This, this billionaire in this movie has all kinds of money, and he still has a covetousness issue, which shows you it's nothing to do with income level. It's not a money issue. It's an issue of the heart. Tiger Woods had all the money, success, fame, and a beautiful wife. What did he do? He still had a covetousness issue. Went and committed adultery. You can be poor and be full of covetousness. You know, you ever go to, you ever go to, I mean, I grew up in the urban neighborhoods of Philadelphia. You know how many young people I've seen driving around these nice cars or driving around these really cheap cars, but have $20,000 rims on their car? Or $5,000, in Philly, it's really popular to get like two $5,000 stereos with these huge subwoofers. We're so big, you can't even close the trunk of your car. And they blast that thing, like, all around the neighborhood, you know? You know? Boom, 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 boom. It's just, like, all loud, and you're like, yeah. I'm cool. You know? So many young people, they can't afford that stereo. They can't afford those rims. But because they have a covetousness issue, what are they doing? They're not paying their bills. They're not paying the child support. That's just, that's foolishness right there. Just think about how foolish that is. They want the nice jewelry, clothes, car. Some, that's why some youth in the urban ghettos, they join gangs. Joining gangs is not just about belonging. Some people join because they want to belong, but other people join because of covetousness. Because they realize that if they want the nice, let me name a good name brand here. Um, uh, Sean John. That all right? No? What, what are urban kids wearing these days? I said Tommy Hilfiger at the other campus, and everybody laughed at me. Anyway, some of these poor kids, they see all the nice clothes, especially drug dealers who have them, or gang members that have them, and they go, you know what? For me to get a college education and try to get all that stuff, it's just going to take way too long. Forget that. I'd rather p- pick up a piece, I'd rather pick up a knife, and go steal do violence, do whatever I got to do to get what I want. It's a covetousness issue that young people join gangs in the urban city. Why is it that covetousness affects people of all income levels? It's because it's real simple. Covetousness is deceitful. That's my third point. Covetousness is deceitful. It offers you something, but it cannot deliver. It offers you happiness, worth, but it cannot deliver. It's deceitful. 
beyond all measure. Now, I mentioned earlier in my first point that covetousness is sin. Right? It's forbidden in the Ten Commandments. You should not covet. But the Bible goes further and says that covetousness, Colossians 3, verse 5 and 6. I'll read that for you. Put to, der- put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on the world. The Bible just doesn't call covetousness sin. It calls it idolatry. Am I getting your attention right now? How this is not just a harmless secret thing that you do in your heart. But this is directly connected to worship. People who, don't, who, don't, who covet and continually covet. It's an idolatry issue. It is a worship issue. It's a devotion issue. Ephesians 5.5. 5, For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure. Or who is covetous. That is an idolater. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. These are the ways of those who are perishing and going to hell. And the Bible says, why would you behave like them? They're all going to hell. You are God's people. Stop behaving like the rest of the world and be set apart. Be holy because God is holy. But in this passage in Ephesians 5, 5, it also calls covetousness, idolatry. You know, for some people, going to the Louis Vuitton store is no different than going to church. I mean, some people, let me talk about, let me, let me, let me give it to you real, right? Let me, let me tell it to you like it's real, right? Some people, the reason why they get plastic surgery is a covetous issue. It's covetousness. Think about it. Think how expensive plastic surgery is. To get some kind of breast augmentation, to get some kind of nose job, chin shaved out, ears tucked in, whatever. I mean, when you see um, that girl f- from Laguna Beach, I forget her name. Y'all don't, y'all don't know who she is? Heidi, yeah. Heidi something. Anyway, man, she got so much plastic surgery, it's crazy. Even Michael Jackson, man, got so much... Michael Jackson did not have a plastic surgery issue. He had an idolatry issue. He was so devoted to worshiping his face. What, what is idolatry? It's worship and devotion to an image other than God. It could be an image of a monkey. It could be an image of stars or whatever. It could be anything in heaven, earth, or sea below. People worship all kinds of images. But people in the West, they, they worship different kinds of images. One of them is their appearance. And people give money and offerings toward it because they're so much more devoted to it than they are to God. I, I, covetousness, get it right, is a worship issue. It is an idolatry issue. And so God calls us to guard our hearts from this subtle form of idolatry. Turn to your neighbor and tell him covetousness is idolatry. 
Now let me talk about two primary ways in which covetousness manifests in our culture. I'm going to talk about two primary ways it manifests. Number one, it's called materialism. Number two, it's called miserliness. Materialism and miserliness. Let me talk about materialism first. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. That's what materialism is all about. Materialism is when you spend, 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 or if you don't have the money, you steal, steal, steal to get what you covet. That's what materialism is all about. You may not have that money, but you're going to put it on your credit card because you got to have what you covet. You got to appear wealthy when you're actually not wealthy. You got to have that nice car so people think you're wealthy when you drive up to the club. But when you go home, you just eat in cup ramen all day. Materialism. A little over a month ago, a video came out by a guy named Sai. Korean artist named Sai. Become insanely popular all over the world. This music video, Oppa Gangnam Style, as of last night, has 86 million hits on YouTube. This video has garnered attention from Justin Bieber's manager, from Billboard. Different celebrities like T-Pain have tweeted about it. And even last week, NFL players started doing the signature dance inside the end zone after scoring a touchdown. I mean, this thing has exploded. But I was reading an article in the Atlantic website that said that the music video and song are not just about slapstick comedy. There's actually a message behind it. Sai is actually... He attended Boston University and graduated from Berklee College of Music. And he's actually, through the song, sending a message about the sad state of affairs in Korean society. In other words, the music video is a satire. He's using humor and exaggeration to expose the unhealthy obsessions that Koreans have toward materialism. So let me give you some stats. In 2010... The average household in Korea carried credit card debt worth a staggering 155% of their disposable income. This is higher than the 138% that American families had right before the subprime mortgage crisis hit. Gangnam, which the song is talking about, is a neighborhood in Seoul that is home to $84 billion of the country's wealth. That's 7% of the entire country's GDP in an area of just 15 square miles. This tiny little neighborhood, whole lot of money. And it's also a place of ostentatious consumption. People flaunt it. People flaunt it. <laughs> it's the playground of the richest 1% in America, in Korea, is Gangnam. Is and there's, the article was talking about how there's a joke poking fun at Korean women who eat 2,000 won cup ramen for lunch, about $2 cup ramen for lunch, and then spend 6,000 won on Starbucks coffee. And these women are called tengjangnya. It means uh, soybean paste women. And they're called that because they're frugal about their essentials, but... They are overspending when it comes to conspicuous luxuries. 
coffee being one of them. You know, coffee is really, the reason why the cafe industry is doing so well in Korea, it's not like in America, but here it's exploded. You go to Gangnam right now, do you see how every Paris Baguette Cafe turned into Omega Paris Baguette Cafe? And how Cafe Benes are opening up everywhere? And how, you know, like there's so many cafes on Gangnam's main street right now. It's nuts. It's crazy. Let me eat something else. Give me something to eat. But there's so many cafes because people are just packing it in. And it's because of this materialism for this Gangnam lifestyle that people are obsessed with. That people go and they just overspend on coffee all the time. Article talked about how the video is a satire about Gangnam. But it's also about all the Gangnam wannabes. All the Koreans that don't have the money to support the Oppa Gangnam lifestyle. But they spend like they do. And they're strung out on their bills. And their relationship with their family is breaking apart. And their marriages are falling apart. Their spiritual life is falling apart. They go to church and they tell them, I can't support you for missions. I'm sorry because I don't have any money. But the real story is, I'm overspending in luxurious, ostentatious living. Because I'm obsessed with materialism. I'm obsessed with the Gangnam lifestyle. So in the video, um, it, it shows how this main character is living in this illusion of this Gangnam lifestyle. It, opening scene, it looks like it's this nice beach. And then the camera zooms out and he's actually in a children's playground. Um, you think he's in this nice sauna with businessmen where rich people go. But the camera zooms out and he's just in a mogoktang with gangpes, like gang mafia guys, mobsters. He dances, not in a nightclub, but on a bus full of ajumas. Because that's really what he can afford. <laughs> he wants to ride horses. Cause what, what? I've never ridden a horse in my life. All right, because generally in America, that's what rich people do. You own a ranch, or you grew up in the farm, then you ride horses. But even then, man, you gotta you gotta be pretty rich. Like I don't know no guys that I grew up with in Philly playing polo. You know what I mean? I don't know nobody do that. That's why even the polo brand it's it it communicates luxury, because only rich people get on a horse and try to hit a ball. I mean, what kind of dangerous sport? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? I don't care how fun it is. I'm not getting on a horse and trying to hit a ball. And in the video, he wants to ride horses and maybe perhaps even play polo like the rich people. But all he can do is a horse dance. The closest thing he can get to is a merry-go-round. The, the, the video, it's subtle. It's not like in your face. It's not the whole video, but he puts this in, his, in, in the uh, music video. And then when he did the making of the music video interview, he talked about these themes and how it troubles his heart. And right now, there is an ambivalence. There's a mixed emotions coming up in the, out of the young generation. Because they're realizing, we're living like this. We're, we're breaking our backs. But you know what? We're never going to attain this type of wealth that the rich people are having. There's not enough jobs. There's too much oppression. And they're getting angry about it. And so the music video is kind of communicating that brothers and sisters what am i saying i'm saying that materialism is deceitful do not get consumed 
by materialism. Do not overindulge past your budget. As size music video shows, it's just full of deception. Materialism promises things that it cannot deliver on. What is, the, what is the value in living this illusion of a wealthy lifestyle? What is the value in that? You might feel good that day, and then you go home and eat a couple of million. I mean, what, where is the value in that? God's people should never fall into these same traps. We've got to guard our hearts from materialism. Let me talk about the other form of covetousness. Miserliness. Second way in which it manifests in our culture. Another word for miserliness is stinginess. Everybody say stingy. Miserliness is simply an excessive desire to save money. Just like the parable of the rich fool here. Here is a miser. This rich fool, he saves up all of his wealth, refuses to spend it. In materialism, it's all about spending all your money. Misers, it's about saving all your money. And it can even look like modesty, frugality. It can look like you're actually a mature Christian, a very thoughtful person. But in fact, don't, get, don't, don't believe the hype. They're actually living in just as much foolishness. What does, G, what does the God call the man here in this parable of the rich fool? Fool. If God calls somebody a fool, you think that person's a fool? Oh, you better believe it. You live like a miser. And God says you're a fool. Let me tell you about the Guinness Book of World Records. The greatest miser, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. There's a lady named Hetty Green. I think it was like the early 1900s, late 1800s. She was nicknamed the Witch of Wall Street. And here are, she had millions of dollars. She had incredible wealth. But here's what she did. She never turned on the heat or used hot water, even though she had a family. She wore one black dress and refused to change unless it got worn out. She ate mostly pies that cost 15 cents in the city. She was so cheap and stingy that she had like this real estate business, but she refused to open up an office because of rent. So she would use the bank as her office. She would put out all her papers at the bank. You know, that's like going to Uri Uneng and on the benches there and like taking out all your stuff in your laptop and start doing work there for like six hours. Now, that could, that could look all right if you don't have much money and that's the only thing you can do. And, you know, if they let you get away with it, you might get away with it. It might be a neat little cute story. But when you have a whole lot of money and you're doing that, what is that? That's foolishness. But it goes worse. Her frugality extended to her family life. Her son, Ned, broke his leg as a child. And she refused to take him to the hospital and look for a free clinic instead. In fact, he eventually had to have his leg amputated years later. Because of all the poor treatment. In her old age, she began to suffer a bad hernia, but she refused to have an operation because it cost $150. This is foolishness. This is demonic bondage. It's a form of covetousness 
that is, looks different than materialism. We only think covetousness, materialism. But I'm telling you, miserliness is just as bad. It's just as nasty. It's just as ugly. It's just as wicked. It is a form of idolatry as well. This woman, instead of using money to serve God, she was using God to serve her money. She was using her children to serve her money. She was, money was her God. Money was her altar. Money was what she was devoted to, so devoted to that her son's leg got amputated. But you know, that's an extreme case, but you know, some of us in here, you, that's, that's the type of heart you have. You're a miser. You're stingy. You're tight-fisted. I'm telling you right now, it's not a modesty issue. It's not a frugality issue. It's a form of covetousness. Driven by either greed, because let's say you want to save, 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 because one day you want to buy an island. I don't know. You want to buy something that requires a whole lot of wealth. So you, you, you refuse to spend any money. You just save, save, save. That's covetousness toward whatever you're saving toward. Or it's driven not by greed, but it can also be driven by fear. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to lose financial stability. So even though you have more than enough money to have stability, you refuse to spend any of that money. You refuse to help out a family member. You refuse to give toward a church. That's covetousness as well. There was a guy named Andrew Carnegie. He said, he agreed with the public saying that said, the man who dies thus rich, the man who dies thus rich dies disgraced. And he believed in passing a law to tax the estates of rich people that die rich, but refused to give back to the community. He believed that the state should condemn that person's life by taxing all of their uh, estates that they leave behind. As a way of saying, for the people that are rich that are alive, y'all need to start giving away your money and using it for good purposes. So Andrew Carnegie, his rhetoric was backed up by his practice. He actually practiced what he preached. Uh, he wasn't a Christian most of his life. I think he, got, he became a Christian later in his life. So anyway, it's, it's not like, oh, Andrew Carnegie is this amazing Christian. But I'll, let me give you an example of the fingerprints of God in Andrew Carnegie's life. He was famous for being the second richest man in history, next to John Rockefeller. But not only that, he is also famous for being one of the greatest philanthropists that ever lived. Andrew Carnegie. You might have heard of him. He funded 3,000 libraries. He helped start Carnegie Institute of Technology, which is now known as Carnegie Mellon University, which I almost went to. <laughs> I kind of wish I did. Anyway, uh, he helped Booker T. Washington create the National Negro Business League. His interest in music led him to funding 7,000 church organs across the country. And he built Carnegie Hall in New York City, which remains to this day as one of the most, no pun intended, most coveted places that musicians want to play in. At his death, people estimate he gave away $350 million, which in today's equivalent is $4.8 billion. Andrew Carnegie gave away 
before he died. I hope that there are some more Andrew Carnegie's around. You know what I'm saying? Too many Koreans, they have this me, me, me attitude. My family, my family. We got blood is thicker than water. We got to take care of our family. And Koreans are mad. They're like, they're like, they're crazy about that. That's why when they, they, they don't agree with a the marriage, they get, they get that crazy. Like Korean parents get, sometimes they get crazy when they disagree with a marriage. But it's like a form of covetousness. It's a miserliness that Koreans have sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a Korean, so let me talk about it a little bit. I've seen it in the culture. They save, save, save. They hoard, hoard, hoard. Family members die. And you know what? Sometimes Korean family, family, uh, there was another story of another miser in America. When she died, no one knew she had millions of dollars in the bank, including her two kids. They were living on the streets at one point. But this is another story of another lady. She used to go every day to the bank and she would count every dollar that was in her bank account. She was obsessed. It was, a, it was a form of idolatry. But she refused to provide for her children. When she died, the bank called up the children and said, hey, your, your, your mom had, you know, $500 million in the bank, $5 million in the bank, whatever. And the kids were like, what? They were so angry. They refused to take the money. But you know what? That's what happens in some Korean families these days. When they're alive, the relatives like mass stingy with their money, always constantly saying, oh, I can't give any, you know, I can't help you there. I'm sorry I can't. Then they die, and the government has to contact the family and says, hey, uh, by the way, in their bank account, there's $3 million. And then you know what happens? Korean families, the remaining descendants, they fight over that money. It happens, I'm sure, in America as well. Really ugly. Really ugly. This is, you know, I don't care if you become a millionaire, right? When you raise your kids, I hope you raise them, right? If you raise them like Carlton and Hillary, you're gonna, they're going to end up like Carlton and Hillary. But I hope that you can teach your kids. I don't care if I, if I become a millionaire. You know, I'm not, I don't object to that, God. You know, but if I have that kind of wealth, Right? If I had that kind of, I'll raise my kids right. I will not spoil them. I will not spoil them. I will teach them to get a job. I'll say, when your daddy was a teenager, I worked down in South Philadelphia at a sneaker store selling Air Jordans to drug dealers. I didn't want to sell them drug dealers, but they, they're the ones who, who were the most frequent customers. <laughs> but I, I had to commute down there on the subway. Always, every day, there's a risk of getting robbed. But I went down there, and I made an honest buck. I was making $4.25 an hour. But, Daddy, you have all this money. That's right. It's Daddy's money. <laughs> no, Daddy's stewarding this money. I'm a steward of this money. It's God's money. And God says, you can't have it. You're going to get a job. But, Daddy... Shut up, you're getting a job. You're gonna learn how to you're gonna learn how to earn an honest dollar. You know what I mean? You gotta teach your kids some values. I look around the streets sometimes, man. I go to these hagwans, whatever. I hear all these stories from teachers talking about these spoiled kids up in Gangnam. 
just want to smack them. You know, I was, I was hanging out at the banyan tree because somebody paid for our stay at banyan tree, by the way. Anyway, man, we're over there. There's all these kids, you know, kids of CEOs of Hyundai, whatever, Samsung. They're all running around looking like idiots. They're running around looking like crazy kids, like on crack. They're just running around everywhere. And I was like, man, I just want to fly kick some of them. I just want to push them in the pool. And I thought that's the only way. I thought only me. I thought I was feeling that way. Aaron felt the same way. We made friends with a couple people we met at the pool. They felt the same way. Driving us nuts. I'll tell you right now, my kids are not going to be running around some pool acting, acting like a fool. Anyway, my one my on. All right. Materialism is greed and spending. Miserliness is greed and saving. Both are rooted in deception. Materialism's deception is these possessions are going to give you happiness. It's going to make you feel worth. You get this plastic surgery and you're going to feel more love. That's a complete de- deception. It's a complete lie. Um, miserliness says... You save up all these possessions and you'll have security. And then, you know, dot-com bursts. Subprime mortgage um, crisis happens. Recession hits. And they lose all their 401k. They lose all their pension. At the cost of them being stingy and cheap all those years. With, and, and then, the, I'm telling you, Miserliness cannot deliver what it promises. They are all lies. Now, let me talk for a moment before I close on luxury. Because the traditional view in the church is it has always condemned luxury. And in your minds, most of you have a traditional view of money and luxury. You condemn it until you're in it. (laughs) Then you have no paradigm to process and think about wealth. But I want to give you a helpful paradigm right now. Okay? So there's different, man, through the, throughout the years, it's always just been condemned. It's just a straightforward condemnation. I want to talk about luxury a little bit. Just because you enjoy a little bit of luxury here and there does not mean that you're in bondage to covetousness. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the finer things in life and appreciating high-end products. Especially if you got it as a gift. Don't worry about what other people are going to think. You got it as a gift. You got it as a gift. You got a rich uncle. Got your Rolex watch. Just don't walk through the streets of Philly. <laughs> Wear that watch. But don't make no apologies for it. You got it as a gift. Enjoy it. Unless you feel a particular calling and prompting by the Holy Spirit to sell it and give it to the poor. Then you do that. But if you want to keep it, it's your prerogative. God gives good things to his children. And it doesn't go, it doesn't go, hey, that's, that's way beyond your need. I'm just, God, God, I'm all about, I'm God. I'm all about just meeting your needs and that's it. No, God is not IRS. God is not just there just to take the, give you the minimum, help you just store the minimum. God is a God who is a father. And Jesus says, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? God can give you good things. And he wants you to enjoy it. 
You don't have to feel guilty about that. You know, if you look in the Bible, the patriarchs, although they were a nomadic family, they were incredibly wealthy. They had servants, livestock, possessions, incredibly wealthy. Solomon and David, they were incredibly, they were surrounded by great luxury. Job lived in lavish luxury. And then God allowed that test with that with Satan. God took it all, Satan took it all away. But at the end of Job, Job had double the blessings. Double the luxury. If God is trying to teach Job a lesson about luxury, God's doing a pretty bad job there. Book of Revelation says a new heaven is going to be paved in gold. Doesn't say plastic. Doesn't say concrete. It says gold. So if you don't learn to appreciate a bit of luxury right now, what are you going to do when you get to the new heavens and the new earth? Are you going to accuse God of materialism? When you see the patriarchs, Joseph, David, Solomon, you're going to look down on them because they lived in luxury and you didn't, and you lived in this frugal modesty? I had the character to live in modesty while you didn't. You're going to say that to Job? But I'm Job, man. You know what I went through on earth? Oh, that wasn't just a story? No, that was my life. Think you're better than me, punk? I'm Job, sucker. I am Job. You know what I went through? Yeah, I, if I was Job, I'd talk like that. I mean, look, we cannot see the patriarchs, Joseph, David, Solomon, Job. We can't see them in the same light as we see the corrupt CEOs of Enron and AIG and, you know, all the companies that went under. Or Bernie Madoff, if you guys know his story. If you go to 60 Minutes, it's a crazy story. This guy was a, um, he ran a, a scheme, pawn scheme. What was it called? Ponzi, Ponzi, yeah. Where he was uh, borrowing, 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 borrowing money and then, and then promising high interest rates to everybody. But in fact, he was just borrowing more money to pay off the other guy's interest. But then when it came down to it, he didn't actually have the money. He didn't have a real business. Billions of dollars he lost. Anyway. We can't see these men in the same categories as these other wicked men that are enjoying all this luxury. You've got to make a distinction of how they got it and how they're stewarding it. Just because they're wicked and they have a lot of money doesn't mean everybody who has money is wicked like them. You hear what I'm saying? Think of that kind of simple, stupid logic. Really. Let's be thinking Christians here. I do not believe enjoying luxury is a vice. It's not evil. Some things are so good, they shouldn't be an overpriced luxury. It should be an affordable essential. For example, I don't know, toothbrushes. I don't know. At one point, maybe toothbrushes were a luxury. That's a bad example. Let me give you another example. A safe car with auto windows, auto locks, an airbag, stereo, AC, Bluetooth connectivity. Now, all those things that I just named, they're standard on regular-sized sedans. Most of those things are standard these days. You pay a little bit more money, it's all included. But back in the day, to get an airbag, you had to spend tens of thousands of dollars and get a Volvo. Only the rich people got airbags and survived their crashes. All the poor people, they died. (laughs) You put on that seatbelt and just pray. 
But what kind of, what kind of, how dumb is that? That, that would just be a luxury out of the reach of everybody. When that should just be standard. That should be something everyone enjoys as an essential. And today it is. So before you condemn luxury so quickly, we gotta understand that sometimes the luxuries of today become the essentials of tomorrow. Remember cell phones? Saved by the bell? Zach had that big old, you know, two, three bricks. It looks like bricks. Hello? Yeah, yeah, you know. Only rich people had those big old cell phones. We all had to get a pay phone, right? Trying to get some quarters. Like, or, or if you're a real ghetto, you make a collect call, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, please state your name right now. Hey, I'm, I'm at the train station. Can you pick, pick, pick me up? I don't know if I'm the only one who did that. It don't work. It don't worked. <laughs> and if you got if you got cut off, you made like two or three calls, and you made sure you got that message. <laughs> you have a phone call from. Hey, mom, I'm at the station. You gonna pick me up? Oh, it's pretty good. Back in the day, cell phones were a luxury, but today. Everybody has a cell phone. Today, even if you go to the ghettos, or even if you go to like poor Cambodian streets, people have cell phones. Smartphones, flat screen TVs, computers at one point. Only for big businesses like IBM. But Apple and Microsoft came on the scene and said, let's dream this crazy dream. Let's build a computer a personal computer that everybody can own. What will people do with it? We'll create what they're going to do with it. But they, they don't want it. Nobody wants it. There's no market research for this. It's okay. They want it once they see the product. And today, everybody has a laptop. Everybody has a computer. Even in the poorest of poor, when we go to these countries, they still they use a laptop to do the PowerPoint. We don't use the, the, the Ministry of Lights with the transparency machine anymore. Remember that? Remember you print out or you use like a black marker and you write out the song five minutes before worship? People try to put chords on there as well. Put the chords on there and then, then people like and slide it up and down. And you This happened at Hillside, too. Y'all got to take care of the battery, all right? All right, thank you. All right. Jesus commanded us to guard against covetousness and wealth. He didn't tell us to abandon it altogether. He said, guard yourself against it. But he didn't say, abandon it altogether. Let's see the wisdom in his words, right? And if you have accumulated wealth as a result of God's goodness and favor, and you're, you're stewarding the call of God on your life very well, and other people accuse you of luxury, accuse you of whatever, corru- corruption, slander, whatever, don't let those condemnations stick to you. They're not coming from the voice of the Lord. They're coming from the voice of the accuser. We got a steward increasing amounts of finances sometimes. And that can be for the purpose 
of confronting injustice. Hallelujah. <laughs> wireless mics, man. Back in the day, yo. No wireless mics. What a blessing. What a blessing to have wireless mics. All right. Close up right now. Covetousness is sin. It's idolatry. Covetousness is foolishness. And covetousness is deceitful. Brothers and sisters, once again, when it comes down to it, all these things, it's a worship issue. Just because you don't go to a Shinto shrine or Buddhist temple and bow down to an image does not mean that you're not guilty of idolatry. The form of idolatry in America and the West is so subtle. It's like the slow poison that got seeped into your apple pie. You don't even know. You're enjoying life. You're enjoying these things, but you don't know that there's a poison that's completely just killing your worship of God. I'm calling y'all to rise up, to climb the social ladder, but I'm also giving you the biblical warnings because these things can choke the word of God. These things, when they're not guarded against, you can become an idolater and serve these images rather than serve the living God. I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want to pray for people that are struggling with materialism or miserliness. Materialism or miserliness. Some of you in here, you might, it might be actually embarrassing because you've accumulated an incredible amount of debt. You're constantly getting bailed out by your parents. I mean, really, they're giving you more than enough money. But you're constantly needing to get bailed out. Or you're so poor, but you're coveting after all these things in the Gangnam lifestyle. And you go and get a job. But when you get the, your first paycheck, you don't store it with wisdom. You just go bug wild. You know all them kids that work for Banana Republic? At the clothing uh, retail store? Banana Republic tells them you can get 50% off if you're an employee. You know, a lot of those young kids, they never take a paycheck home. Because they're constantly just squandering their money. Their minimum wage money on this Gangnam lifestyle clothes. Hey, pick up a, a dress here and there. Pick up a shirt now and then. But don't spend all your money on that. There's too many young people, man. They have not been given. They have not been taught in the church. How to steward finances. And so we got a lot of foolishness going on. And I just want to pray for some people here to get, get you set free. You've been struggling with materialism, miserliness, any form of covetousness in your heart. I want to stand up and we'll pray for you. I'll give you some time to stand up. Church, let's pray in the spirit right now. Come on. Holy Spirit. Come on, church. Holy Spirit, by your anointing, destroy the yoke of covetousness, destroy the lies and the deception, set your people free, Lord. Come on, church, come on, leaders, pray in the Spirit right now. In the Spirit. Yes, 
Stand up if you want to receive prayer. Stand up if you know you need to get set free. I want to ask people who are standing in a moment, I want you to come to the front, but people, for the rest of you, I want everyone to stand. Everyone stand up for a moment. It's something that I did at Hillside. And I believe that needs to be done here. For many of you, there's a curse on your life. Let's face it. Some of you, there's a curse on your life. No matter how hard you try, you're going to hit a ceiling. Because God has created that ceiling. He's cursed you. That might sound a little shocking, but it's in scripture. Idolatry always has a curse associated with it. The Bible says in Second and Ten Commandments, you shall not bow down to an idol of any created image. Heavens, on the earth, under the sea, nothing in all creation. You are, to, you are not to bow down. You are forbidden to bow down to any idol. For the Lord, He curses to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Him and do not obey His commands. And like I said, covetousness is not just a harmless little sin it's a form of idolatry and for many of you in here your parents have been idolaters and they've taught you the ways of idolatry when it regards to money and you need to get set free from that but it's going to take a repentance on your part on behalf of your parents brothers and sisters what God is doing at this hour on this Sunday at both campuses is a powerful thing He's, he's identified the limits for you and He's trying to lift them off of your life. Hard work, diligence, and optimism can only take you so far sometimes. You need the blessing of God. You need the full blessing of God. And that means taking ownership over the sins of your ancestors so that every curse is lifted. Alright, so I want everyone to start praying like that right now. And for the people who stood up, I want you to come to the front. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lay hands and pray for you. You get to confess the sins of your ancestors, your parents. If there was covetousness, if there was bribery, cheating, lying that was involved in the accumulation of wealth, those are curses that God wants to set you free from today. All forms of idolatry are being cast down today. Both overt and covert, God is casting down the idols today. Let me get some of the pastors to come up and pray. Sky, come up. Start praying for people. Mark, come up. Start praying for people. People who are in their seats, pray for this. This is important. Just like Nehemiah did. Confess the sins of your fathers. Confess the sins of your fathers that the blood of Jesus 
will take effect not only for your own personal sin, but the sins of your fathers. God wants to lift off all of these legal limits. This is not the will of God for you. This is the work of the enemy and God is uprooting every work of the enemy in your family's life. You're wondering, why are we in so much debt? Why do we always have so much trouble? Why do my parents always have to resort to cheating and bribery? And God says, it's because there's a curse on your life. There's idolatry in your life. There's idolatry in your family. God wants to set you free from that. You have to pray. Come on, everybody, repent. Keep repenting. Get it all out.